All right, podcast listeners, welcome back. This is episode number 13 of the podcast. I am your host, Mr. Mike Giant. Um, Big change today, I got two microphones, so hopefully the audio quality is a lot better than it has been, and uh, let me know if it sounds better. Um, Also, thanks again for your reviews and whatnot that helps the podcast get out to more people so i sure appreciate that and if you haven't done that already and you like the show (laughs) or you don't i don't give a shit uh leave a comment leave a rating thank you very much today i've got my buddy Derek keenan with me i think i've known Derek keenan for about four years since i've moved to colorado um is a really really talented artist in a lot of different ways i think uh you know that the thing he brings to the the plate for myself and the others at art night is his 3d skills and we'll get into some of that um so thanks for coming derek hey hi <laughs> um i like to start the questioning out with just kind of how you were raised and where and when that kind of stuff wow okay um well i I was born and raised in colorado actually um in denver well i was born in a hospital in denver but yeah my Mm. parents lived in a little suburb town called arvada Mm. yeah uh, which is really close to denver if people don't know is it basically a suburb yeah it's essentially a suburb but well it's a little outside um Kind of between Denver and Boulder, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of white suburbia. Sure. Pretty pretty, kind of boring. <laughs> a yeah. Bit. Like I, I think I wanted to get out of that environment. Like in my teen years, I was looking forward to getting to the big city of Denver. So. Yeah. yeah. Which wasn't that far away. No. I mean, you could probably even see downtown Denver from certain spots. Oh yeah, there, yeah. There. Right. Like yeah. just from a, a a tall hill. You could like definitely there see it that. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So d- did you have a early interest in making art? Yeah. So I'm the youngest of four children and uh, my oldest siblings are quite a bit older than I am. There's actually... Yeah. A, How much older? There's a 20 year gap between me and my oldest brother. Okay. Then, I mean, that's might sound uncommon, but not so much, I think. Uh, well, I think... I, I, have would... a, I, I know quite a few people that have a sim- sibling that's 20 years different. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, that's cool. <laughs> I think yeah. I was I think I was a bit of a surprise. That's well, yeah. I mean, the circumstances, regardless. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but that was cool because it kind of had an influence on me as a kid because um, my older brothers were like really into cars and stuff, so they were in the garage tearing apart. They had fifty. They both had fifty-seven Chevys at the time, and I was just a little wow, kid. Wow, two fifty-seven Chevys at the house. Yeah, at the how same crazy time. is that? Right. My parents wow. used to have to go and tow them home in the middle of the night, or they'd actually shut off the engines and coast them home because they'd get be getting in way too late, and those cars were loud. And I guess you know. my father had a very similar experience yeah. with his uh, Mustang picking up my mom. He, you know, it would be it's so loud it would drive my grandfather crazy. I guess. Yeah. Huh. So, so you grew up around that. So my brothers were working on cars, and then uh, also they were in. They both, I think, were studying, uh, taking courses in welding, and one of them's still a welder now, and the other one's like a construction. It manager. seems like those go hand in hand. Yeah. It's like the guys that want a hot rod; they take the welding class. Oh yeah, and then they weld on their car to practice. Yeah, I think that's exactly what 
got them into yeah. welding. But but so I you know and then then my other brother my oldest brother he was building all of his furniture because he was at an age where he was moving out starting his life whatever when I was pretty young like five or six. Right. So I saw him building tables and chairs and all kinds of things in the garage and out fixing, of wood out of wood yeah and cool. fixing cars and then uh, my sister she's 13 years older than i am hmm. she was uh she, she was very into art i think she, she that was kind of what she excelled in when and she what was kind of art well she was in high school at the time when i my memories of her living at home and she she was just winning all the she was entering getting in all the art shows for like yeah. high schools or whatever I did that as a kid yeah and Ribbons. she kept yeah and she won yeah. all of them and she'd have these little golden keys oh, like yeah. tacked up and she sure. had she had a hundred of them you know yeah. award winning artist yeah and that gave her she got a full <laughs> ride to a local art college because oh, wow. of that and stuff so okay. and she lived at home when kind of in your blood yeah she lived at art home when craft she, mm-hmm. she lived at home when we were uh, or when I was a kid or while she was in college so she would come home and do all her homework. Uh, she had like a drafting table, and I just wanted to hang out with her. So what year would that have been? Oh, mid eighties, probably. Mid eighties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I I had a drafting table that I drew on that yeah. I think my dad got at the flea market or something. Yeah. Yeah, like a big bulky wooden. Sure. 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 So you know, when so when I was a kid, I would just pull up a chair next to her because I I was stoked when she'd get home yeah. from school and. She would try and explain what the point of the lesson was, maybe something about perspective or how come she's oh, drawing people that wow. way or all these little these The knowledge. Things. Yeah, so she was teaching me what she's learning in art college, but then I'm like, you know, a little kid. Mm-hmm. So, but I was stoked and she would, you know, to entertain me, pass me some of her art books and I would just sit sure. there and look at them all day long. Oops, look at them yeah. all, all the time and just get really inspired. And I also remember, like, I wasn't super good at sports when I was a kid and it would bum me out and actually real side note I think (laughs) because my brothers were so much older like if we tried to play football or something and they didn't really want to play just to end it quick they'd like throw the football as hard as they possibly could like a missile you know and then of course I can't catch it you know and I get all bummed out yeah or whatever but that (laughs) blame my brothers for my not being into sports (laughs) well I mean that's the thing with anything, I suppose, if you have support for it, you know, it, it might become a thing you're really good at. And if people are stifling it, you know, around you, then it's not going to jump off. Yeah. You know, like my uh, dad uh, coached my little league teams, you know, so he was like proactive about like getting me involved and stuff like that. But at the same time, if I didn't want to do it, I could, I could bounce. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't, I, the thing with, with sports for me was the team thing. I didn't like that. Yeah. I, I didn't like that. Hmm. I, I, yeah. I just, I, I don't like that. I don't know why. I don't, I don't, I, it's, it just seems so uh, <sighs> counterintuitive to me on some level. You know, that's why skateboarding mm. was the thing for me. Exactly. Where right? I was Did go. you find skateboarding oh, too? Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to all of us. It was like, oh, I can do this physical thing and go sweat and and accomplish goals, but I don't need a single motherfucker around me to, you know, right. to hassle or yeah, like to have, you know, I yeah, I don't know. Well, and I can kind of bring <laughs> those two together. We were talking sure. about like visual art and inspiration stuff, but skateboarding. 
in its image, I guess, it, it just the graphics on the decks and stuff. I would, I would go in skate shops and just lose my mind because I'd see all these oh, like same skulls for me. and I've dragons so and many, swords uh... and whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And all those cool old decks, like especially in the '80s, these big Powell decks and stuff hanging up. I just, I had to memorize. Like I knew that was like, the all, I knew all the graphics. Of, I like, did too. All of them, and I'd sit there and try to draw that all day long. So. I did too. So. um no, I mean, I think that's such a huge product of our generation, mm-hmm. you know, is, yeah, it was unavoidable on some level, unless you had your uh, head buried in football, yeah. you know, you'd have no idea what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah, it seems to be like some common thread there. Like all of my friends, we all kind of have that in common. Like sk- yeah. skateboarding was in there somewhere. You yeah. Know? Or, no, it's the, it's the... similar to the thread where... There's a lot of professional tattoo artists that used to be graffiti writers. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They used to be skateboarders, too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a mentality and, and a sense of individuality in cultures that uh, support individual growth and whatnot. Yeah, and that kind of DIY thing. So the punk yeah. rock and all that, right? So you were skating here at what, at what point? Were you like 13? or When did you get your first deck? Um, I had... A Nash Executioner from Target. Okay. It was I had sh- the uh, Action Sports um, Kamikaze, I think it was called. And it was the same thing. Some bullshit off-brand was like, we're going to make a skateboard. But yeah. I remember the Nash ones. Yeah. It had, it w- they had the Action Sports ones at Costco. That's the only reason <laughs> I had that one. But I remember at the sporting goods stores, they had the Nash boards. And the Executioner actually was the cool one. Yeah. And the wheels were terrible. They were like hard and they would chip. They were, you know, and the wood was terrible if you got it wet. Like the graphic would just kind of come yeah. off. But I remember the graphic was cool. Did yeah. you have like the lime green one? It was lime green. I called yeah, it. It was, sick. it was like a lime green with a dragon standing on a bunch of skulls. Yeah, I know the one, dude. And That's just it. That was like, if if you didn't have a, a skate shop in your town yeah. or something that sold professional skateboard equipment your only choice was whatever they had at the sporting goods store and often it was the nash boards so many people started with nash right yeah or those banana boards the generation before which you could get at a sporting goods store exactly actually i was going to say the really first skateboard i ever had was just something was already in the garage and i think it was metal and my, uh, my sister probably oh, yeah. did it those I think were she... still around when i was a kid too yeah the metal ones like slalom boards like santa cruz they were like aluminum i think yeah there was yeah those were cool had... and they had like they were a different kind of graphic too it was still a very sport uh look mm-hmm. to the graphics i feel like when they switched to the wood decks that were 10 by 30 inches you had much bigger surface and a much you know, I don't know. It just became much bigger part of the selling point for the, for the boards. Right. How did you, wh- what did you transition into after the executioner deck that you had? Uh, then one there was a mini ramp, or not? You know, it was like a maybe it was a half. There was a half pipe in a backyard. This house was up. Um, they were everywhere back then. Yeah, and it was like a house that was for sale, and nobody was living there. Oh, so, even better. <laughs> so yeah, we would go skate their ramp in the yeah. backyard, and underneath there was. They left all their old decks, but they were like warped oh. and twisted and stuff. And so oh, I took man. a um, how crazy! <laughs> I took a Ray Barbie deck home from that. Yeah. That was way too. It was a huge board, and it was just really, and it was really warped. So when I put my 
I think, I don't remember where I got a set of trucks and wheels yeah. and stuff. But anyway, I would, only three wheels actually made contact with the ground because of the sure. board being so warped. Yeah. But I'd skated anyway because I was just stoked. But I'm, I'm, I'm also very young at that point. It was probably like 10 to 12. Yeah. And I think I was about 12 when I started, which would have been 1983, mm-hmm. I think, is when I got that, uh, that first action sports deck. Yeah. And as much as I, I did like skating and I, I skated for a couple of years, but, but, uh, around that same age, I really got into BMX bikes and, and, uh, there, cause there was a racetrack in not too far from where I grew up. So hmm. I used to just go on over there and watch the gut, watch them race bikes. And I was totally hooked. I wanted to do that so bad. And it was the same for me in Albuquerque. Yeah. There was BMX like legitimate tracks, uh, within a bike's ride distance. There was even an abandoned skate park. There were whoop-de-doos all over the place right. and abandoned lots, and that was another heyday in, in and of itself. Yeah. I, for And also for transportation purposes, before I could drive, I could just cover so much more ground when I rode my bike. So I, I yeah. kind of gave up the skateboarding to and got fully immersed in BMX bikes until I I was, did the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of later on, once I moved to San Francisco, it made a lot more sense to be on a bicycle than a skateboard just for daily transportation. Yeah. But uh, I totally understand what you're saying there. Yeah, and uh, with uh, <coughs> with those BMX days, it's funny, I, you have here a, a notebook with a mm. sticker that says yellow designs. And, yeah. Uh, Yellow's a guy that had a influence on me as as at that age. I was like thirteen or so, and I started really getting into BMX. Yeah. And uh, here in Colorado, they we had an indoor racetrack that was actually at the Boulder County Fairgrounds. Oh, cool! And so it was in like a big horse barn type thing, and it, yeah. it was like every other weekend they would push all the dirt in there into you know mounds of dirt or whatever yeah. to build these tracks and. It was awesome. It was just so much fun to race indoors. But Brian, a.k.a. Yellow, yeah. used to have his, well, still does that. He had his own little brand that he made up called yeah. Yellow Designs. And he made t-shirts and little, all the way like, back number then. plates. And to now. And, yeah, and like pads and things that you could put yeah. on your bike. They're all screen printed. He's still so good on his bike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has a stunt team now. But it, even way yeah. back then. But I was really like seeing him selling t-shirts at the races well then he'd go and jump on his bike and go do cool stuff and i was just like wow that's awesome and i don't don't even know if he knows that i got so stoked by that but i that kind of started setting in my head like i'm gonna do something like that i want to make my own shit i think that can still work today oh it does yeah you know i think you know there's lessons there like one he was like one of the top guys in his scene people were already looking to him for inspiration or ways to show their uh comradeship with him you know and then he makes t-shirts right right and they sell partly because of who he is Mm. you know what i mean and it's like i think i think you can still do that it doesn't even have to be t-shirts well sure stickers patches buttons or records or yeah it was was just like a real example of diy at a young right. age, and pre-internet, I was, and I got really stuck. Eighties, even. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. It was about eighty-nine when I really started. It was eighty-nine when I started to really get into BMX. Okay. And I did that up until my mid-twenties. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yellow, yellow, and it was an artist and a BMX guy, and yeah, he, just super rad dude. Did you take uh, art courses in school? Did you go to public school? Yeah, I went to a public high school. I did take art, and like. 
all the tech arts classes too, like metal shops and wood oh, shops that's good. and all that drafting. And I did too. All that kind of stuff, and yeah. then yeah, art classes. I I told you my sister was kind of like a big deal in. We went to the same high school, but years apart. Yeah, and uh, had the same art teacher, and it was just funny because I was like constantly in my in her shadow, kind of. Because I, sure. I, I I I could do art pretty. You know, I can do art. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, you, I can draw I can do and stuff. It well. Yeah, yeah. But I never, I never was in any high school art shows or winning awards or anything like that. And I that didn't was participate sort of, in art um, in school and high school at all. Yeah, I, I did. didn't take any art classes. I took drafting courses, engineering, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. um, but not art. I had a terrible art teacher in junior high that just turned me off to it and was just like, I draw way better and way more at home, so why even bother? Because yeah. these people are going to want to teach me bullshit that I don't care about, you know. And then in college, I had to take uh, drawing courses and stuff. Did Did you end up going to college? Yeah. So, uh, I did. I did. I went to the Art Institute of Colorado. And, okay. And think they switched the name around to Colorado Institute of Art, but it doesn't matter because they're no longer in business anyway. Oh. Okay. They just recently closed that school. Oh. Okay. Kind of. Maybe it was. A, Kind of scam, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I don't think a scam. I think they're institutions, dude, and they're hard to keep institutions around, and it's hard to pay your staff, and it's hard to get students to pay top dollar when the competitor could be half this price in a cooler town, even. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's that's just, uh, yeah, I can only imagine how difficult a, a business of a school know. would be hard to you know maintain and to keep it going especially an art school you know yeah so anyway the, the program I, you got an education yeah I did. how long were you there uh is it a two-year three-year three-year but it's a bachelor degree program a bachelor in fine arts or something or a bachelor, bachelor of arts bachelor of, of fine arts, arts. Yeah, bafa no or the, you got the ba it's just the bad attitude yeah the bad attitude. i came out with a bad attitude um, yeah, so I studied industrial design in school. Mm. So it's not so, when it's it's an art school, but it's not so much like um, fine art, you know, at all. It's more like kind of engineering a little bit and materials. And, and what processes. year was that? That would have been like the later ninety, late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. So you had access, I'm assuming, to automated tools and whatnot. You know, or were you learning like strictly old school cutting and welding metal and? sanding I, I was kind of on that machines as well well we were kind of on the transition of all that because i think that's a good place to be yeah where i remember the school had purchased a bunch of fancy equipment i think they're just starting to get into maybe laser cutting and 3d printing <sighs> like a and, cnc machine yeah at the school. All, cnc all of that stuff we we didn't really have those kinds of tools it's a lot of them were there, that, but not. That's why set I asked because I remember it about that time that they started entering the schools. Yeah, we would go on tours, like for part, some of our classes, and see manufacturing processes in different places around town. So we knew oh, about, cool. like, we saw like water jet cutting or whatever, yeah, all the fancy right. stuff happening. Right. So we were aware of it, and then we learned how to, you know, do CAD and different things like that, so that you could, you know, operate that kind of equipment. Right. Design. I learned CAD stuff. in high school in the eighties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that school in does. Yeah, we would do a lot of marker rendering, which is something they don't think people. Te maybe they teach it now, but nowadays everyone would use a tablet or a, 
Uh, Are you saying for uh, mechanical drawings or for sketching? Uh, okay, so industrial design, we in every class we just go through this pro big process, you know, kind of the inspirational phase, and then we do into concepting where you'd have maybe some loose sketches, but then you the next week you would develop that idea further and to work through your you know until you come up with a little bit better design, and then on those drawings at the time you would probably do it with marker like mar marker on marker paper okay and you can get cool gradations and stuff it's kind of like an old school aesthetic that yeah you see like guys who can draw no, cars that, that's and stuff the thing that's that. why i ask you know because there's yeah there's a lot of like uh uh levels of presentation let's yeah. say if you're doing industrial design for a client you know and i was just that's why i was wondering if it was like the sketch or you know say um like in architecture school, you know, we would do sketches of the finished home, you know, with trees and whatnot, and that would be a certain style. But then the drawings that the builder needed were a completely different thing. They were all measured out to scale, right. and very precise. And did you have to do that stuff? Or was at that point, was all that in the computer? Yeah, <clears throat> well... We, we definitely did 3D modeling and things in computers and we were learning those skills, but I think they were really just drilling into us kind of the, the steps of working with clients and presenting your work to them and right. going through the development of the pro project and exactly. to completion. So there's kind of different phases and exactly. sort of like each week and across the board in all the classes, you're kind of coming like you're meeting, like maybe the first time you met a client, then it's developing through and then you have like models and how yeah. to build and present and right. all this stuff for your oh, okay portfolio so that's cool so you, you went through you said three years of that yeah three okay three and then years. did you were you able to get a job in your profession right out of school i know that's kind of the the big nightmare for a lot of students is like okay now what yeah well, you know, it's funny. So we had, even though it's an undergraduate program, we had to do a, th a thesis and I did mine on uh, footwear design. Oh. And so, and we also had to have an internship during that, during our time at school. So okay. I, I kind of wanted to tie, I wanted to do my internship as sort of like my research for my, for, to, for my thesis project. So I, I actually worked at two as like an intern at two different shoes so i worked at airwalk shoes because they used to be here in colorado that's cool and then i used I, to wear airwalks yeah air, and that was awesome because you know, are practice, they still around i, I don't know i, have no I, I don't idea. really think wow so, but that's a trip sorry anyway airwalk, if you still exist yeah i don't know that's all good um and you know i was so stoked on that because of my bmx background i was like i i wanted to i had it all planned out. i was going to be like a pro bmxer and then retire and work like designing bikes and bike gear and shoes and helmets and all that. It's not a terrible line, a career line. Yeah. And, and that, I was possible. I was also very into snowboarding. So I was thinking like, oh yeah, goggles and sure. gloves. Something. And Action just, sports. Just like sports products or I don't know, just all that stuff. Yeah. So at working at, interning at Airwalk was a cool experience for me. But at the same time, there was this place in Boulder. It's just like a, just a mom and pop shop that uh, made custom footwear for all the athletes that live up here in Boulder. So cool. a lot of people do triathlons. Yes. So he would make custom inserts for shoes and stuff. So you could go from swimming and just put on wet your wet feet right into the shoes uh, and go run okay. or switch out quick to bike or whatever. Yeah. But they they were like handmade shoes or handmade whatever parts. Yeah. 
just he worked with all kinds of people like had special needs or whatever sure to build custom footwear and that guy was really awesome because he built shoes from completely from scratch hmm. and he taught me how to do it so i uh Wow, you learned how to make shoes from scratch. Yeah, so I made Not a, too many people. Isn't no. that a, uh, called a cobbler? Well, yeah, but I was. But ma- you were doing I was, sneakers. I was like doing running sneakers. Apparel. Yeah, I made yeah, sneakers. It's different, but I guess it's still right. making shoes. Because I was really That's I, rad. for a while wanted to get in the industry, footwear industry. That's sure. where I started. I have quite see. a few friends yeah. that worked in footwear over the years. And I don't, you know. Anyway, so I graduated and. I, I, I kind of was, I had this like young expectation, like, well, my internship will probably turn into a job here. And when, and then I was almost expected to work at oh, Airwalk sure. and I yeah, didn't yeah. get a job. They didn't want to hire me. And <laughs> I was just like so butthurt about it. And then, oh, sure. and then from there, I think I ended up working at an aviation software company. Oh, cool. And I did technical illustrations for their, so they did training oh. manuals for, um, pilots because pilots have to go through this recurring ground school every six months they have to do and and it goes through all the systems of these airplanes so the pilots need to know the hydraulic systems electrical systems and pneumatic oh i'm saying as they should right all all the instrument (laughs) panels so you have up one overhead one in the center and then down here there's another console yeah so all of those buttons and stuff were all most of it was already drawn by people who'd already worked there but yeah i'd go through like manuals of that the pilots get that are just shitty drawings and turn them into posters so that they could hang could them on learn. the wall and like look at uh, like study guides basically yeah yeah what an interesting job it was interesting but <laughs> i quit under great i i literally wanted to like pick up my computer and throw it and that at the yeah. boss's wife one day is it's, no. it's a great story no well, so he, he was a pilot himself. He's this French guy, and he used to be, he'd be gone for two weeks or whatever. And um, I had an art director that I needed to work with, and we have to talk about changes. You know, he redlined. Yeah. He goes through these yeah, posters, yeah. and he redlines everything. And we just have a system we're working, but it requires us to talk to each other because we're yeah. adults and we're yeah. at our right, job. Right. And the, the boss's wife would just drop in every once in a while, and act like she was our boss and start so she one day told me because i was talking too much that i had to move my desk to the like i was a child or something yeah and it, and i was just i was getting paid well like minimum wage at that I job know. and everything and it just like that's the me. nightmare of any job yeah, right yeah. like yeah the interpersonal aspects of it but it sounds like regardless you learned yeah. um you had some time working as a technical illustrator sure. where you're being given a project you're making posters right so what did you end up doing from there um you know i think i went and worked at a, a frame shop like picture yeah. frames building okay. i would build the help the huh. customers pick out mats and yeah. stuff or, which is actually interesting because that made it led me to a big life change uh I, after i graduated school wasn't really finding jobs here in colorado that were in my field very well yeah and okay. um, I had ended up like my first long term relationship and sure. everything. So I was just kind of in this funny place where I was kind of bummed out, not sure what I was doing. Yep. Kind of like most of the time. Most people, right? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm like, I'm not, I go I through that. I never got over yeah, yeah. I'm still doing that. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. But um, this woman had come in with these really great photos and she wanted me to help her pick them out and everything. And I got to talking to her about her pictures and it, and they were for her son and she said he was in the peace corps 
Huh. And I was like, oh, Pace Corner. Just, we just started this conversation. And I was kind of in this weird place. I was like, man, that sounds really cool. Like, I would love to just get out of here and go join the Peace Corps. So, yeah. So literally that same day, I went home, checked on the internet to learn like what about it. And then it happened to be like a meeting and their regional office was in Denver. So yeah. it was like that week. And at that meeting, I just expedited the process. I started, I, I was like filling out applications while I was listening to yeah. the guy give a little presentation and so that I could like book an appointment to like set up my first interview or whatever. Right. And, but that got the ball rolling. Yeah. And I mean, it was like a complete whim. I just said, I'm going to join the Peace Corps. And I also, sure. it's not really that easy to get into the Peace Corps. So No, I understand that. Don't you have to have a college degree you, to, yeah, you have to have a qualify? College. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of things. So I, honestly, I didn't really think I was going to get in, but I was like, fuck it, I'll, I'll sure. try. Sure. And um, yeah, I got into the Peace Corps and then I, and then when you when you do that they don't tell you where where you're going to go they offer right. you some possible countries but they are yeah. co- more like continent they'll say yeah you're going you could go to africa if you want but yep i had an old girlfriend that ended up going mm-hmm. to the el salvador with the peace corps and i remember the whole process they said you want to be south america so, yeah you know central or like you know, like you're saying Asia, right? But Europe, they won't. They won't get Africa. Very, they won't get specific until no. you get your assignment. And exactly. They, and they mail it to you. It's like a, it's, yeah. It's like a spy movie or something. Sure. Like James Bond. You get this letter and you get open it and, it and it's a folder and it tells you this is where you're going. It's like a little briefing. And, yeah. And you only have about a week from that point till you ship out kind yep. of thing. And you're sure. It's really funny. And how yeah. long do you sign up for? Uh, it's, well, it's 27 months because there's three months of training in country. Okay. Yeah. So. That's what I remember too. Right. It was a two year bid basically. Yeah. With a few months of training. Right. And, yeah. and sometimes people. Is that every Peace Corps volunteer gets that same? Yeah. I think that's pretty yeah. standard. Right. 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 And then occasionally pe- people will add a third year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if. So if, where they send you? So, uh, yeah, I went to West Africa to the country of the Gambia. Cool. Yeah. The Gambia. Right. Wow. Get down. A little different than Denver. Yeah, that was... That, that they was got very snow di- in Gambia? No, it's not. Definitely Really? Not. No mountains at all in Gambia? No. No. Maybe some hills. But okay. they're pretty close to the equator, so... Yeah, just, okay. Just to the north where the, the Sahara Desert's kind of encroaching on so, the northern yeah. boundaries. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I mean, my, I got... So I got... Okay, so first of all, I started telling you I have a degree in industrial design. But then I go to Africa and I got accepted into a program for agriculture and forestry um they thought my background fit somehow so anyway but it was kind of a departure from all the schooling i had and sure sure and so during the you know being in africa that's just like a it was such a different experience from everything i knew from my my life at home i mean totally different climate food culture environment and I only brought a certain amount of things from home, and it was just a very interesting experience to me. Oh, experience because uh, it's like all these things that you think about yourself, or you kind of self-identify with material things, or who your friends are, or where you went to school, or where you grew up, or up, or, 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 or that like subconsciously you might identify. But then in Africa, like none of that applied to me at all. And uh, it w- it was kind of almost like a life reboot because you're there for so long and 
it was just a <clears throat> yeah yeah just an interesting interesting time there let's take a break for a second yeah. i had a technical issue okay we're back i'm learning Fucking My, Mike's com- still learning computer so. stuff. Yeah, he's still learning <laughs> the basics, so he was. Yeah, yeah but I, I, th- I, th- I think everything's okay now. Um, so yeah, we're in Africa. What year was this that you were in yeah, Africa? Yeah, so 2003 to 2005, I, I was okay. in explorer in West Africa. And, right, uh, right. What were you living in? Oh, I like. Do you have a little apartment? No, no. <laughs> I didn't think so. No, it was out there. It was like a real deal, like village life. So I had. I lived within a family compound, which, uh, so it's kind of like every member has, you know, the boys ha- had like a hut and the parents had a hut. There was like five little houses and another little house for the goats and the donkeys and chickens and stuff. So it's kind of like farm life. Yeah. But it's a mud, I mean, the walls are made out of mud blocks yep. with a, like a grass roof. And, yep. I mean, it's pretty real deal. So, yeah. Yeah. Dirt floor. Um, yeah, Peace Corps has like certain standards though, I think for the volunteers housing has to meet a certain standard, which, so they would pour like a slab on for our floor and the uh, windows had bars and, uh, like oh. security windows that could shut, like yeah. shutters and because of the I remember that in El Salvador and stuff. The volunteers places were like that. Yeah. Yep. So there's, they're, they're. They're the nicest hut in the whole village, cause, right? Which, so which not, still, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're you're talking about basically a little cinder block building, like with a iron gate over the window, yeah, it's a just, metal door and a slab, kind of like a a jail cell almost, <laughs> you know. But still, it, compared to, yeah, the mud hut with a dirt floor or whatnot, like might be a bit more comfortable yeah you get used to living like that though if the whole experience must have been weird though like right off the bat you're kind of in a different position in oh. the village oh yeah because you've got the different pad oh yeah you know what well, i'm saying it, it's, i feel yeah. like in el salvador sometimes the locals hated on that a little bit like okay they have to have it their way yeah, like they can't I, live oh, in definitely. Our, our regular house or whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely, you're never going to be yeah. accepted 100%. Like, well, and I I'm, think they, they know you're temporary, too. Mm-hmm. They know you're only going to do two years. Yeah, yeah. They called foreigners or white people two bobs. Two and bobs? Two bob, yeah. Huh. And uh, it was almost like there was just a certain expectation of what it, you know, the, well, they're two bobs. He's a two bob, so I mean, yeah. like it's fine because that's just what two bob. It do. is too, you know, like, like whatever. Expect, yeah, yeah, yeah. Expect yeah. me to do everything exactly the same. But, sure, but you know, that's cool. It was still pretty. So, what kind of projects did you end up working on down there? Um, there was a lot of. Well, I personally got into doing live fencing, so they have a lot of problems with deforestation. Okay. There and. Uh, a lot. A lot of it is from because, corporate. They're just selling off the trees, or not even that. Like. Well, there is to a certain amount of logging and things going on, but it's, okay. that's pretty minimal. Actually, it's more yeah. that they use it for fuel wood, for cooking. Okay. Or So they'll cut like these huge mahogany trees down and light them on fire. And the wood is so dense that it, it'll just burn for like a month. Wow. And it, and it just, then it creates charcoal. Yeah. And people, it's illegal to do it, but they do it anyway. 
Sure. They go and they cut the trees and yeah, burn them to make charcoal and then they just chip it out and make big bags of charcoal and they'll go sell them on the side of the road or, huh. you know, yeah. to make a living there, the people were doing all, you know, climbing up palm trees and cutting down the, the leaves to get the fronds out of the middle, middle of the leaf and they tie them up to make brooms. And oh. it was such, so huh. much labor, <laughs> labor to do no, all that, but it was like, that's all, all the income you could get. So, yeah. So projects like anything you could do to help them with the income generation or feeding themselves and stuff so i did some how was the water projects. situation there water um they had wells like pump wells uh-huh that not in not very close by though you'd have to walk very far and you'd you'd fill up, the women will fill up jugs of water and they carry like these huge jugs on their head yeah. back to the village did the guys ever carry the jugs of water no uh, it's just a cultural thing. Yeah, the women yeah. do a lot of the hard labor there. It was the same I saw in El Salvador. It was uh-huh. like the women would be carrying the heavy loads and the men would be right behind them, kind well, of egging them on. Yeah, men, the men, men and women there had very like separate lives where, well, in the daylight anyway. They, sure, sure. The men go out to Culture. the farm. And, or they just, men stuck with men, women stuck with women. You didn't huh. really see very like often them hanging out together. Huh, interesting. You know? That's cool. And so women ju- just had certain jobs that they did. Yeah. Men had certain things that they did. And, okay. And and it was funny to me because, you know, the, those are the kind of like cultural collisions, I guess you'd say. Where, right. where like, I, I'm used to a different w- way of doing things, you know? So I was, like, kind of confused. Like, should I help her carry the water? I feel bad. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know. Well, and right. Those are those cultural questions. That's why I asked. Right. You know? Yeah. And so some some stuff you kind of stick to it and, and like what would be their cultural expectation. But in certain ways, too, I had to set some boundaries. Like sure. just to cope. Like, yeah. for example, um, it's common to eat, eat your food in a, in a communal bowl. Yeah. You know, and I would do that often. But just for my breakfast. I just wanted to eat it alone in my house. Yeah. And part of that was just <laughs> actually the my host sister's cooking was just to be honest was just completely awful. Yeah. And I had to kind of doctor up my food to be able to just eat it. Yeah. And uh and uh I couldn't really I don't know, I just I didn't want to be rude it rude and like take, no, I understand. I did and whatever. I understand. But it was just kind of my thing to eat alone in my house. And yeah. That that's just not a normal normal thing. I mean sure. I did eat other meals with I get that. Just I like to eat alone at home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's funny. There were a lot of like No, that's why I ask and that's why I like I think it's really good just at base that you're one of those Americans that left the country, immersed themselves in another culture, because then you can come back and you have a different way of looking at America and what it is to be an American because you understand your conditioning and how different it is from other cultures yeah. and how radical other cultures can be. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it can make you really stoked on being an American. And sometimes you come back and you're like, oh, damn. Yeah. Like back into this rat race. Here we go. You know? It hasn't made me feel proud to be an American, but it's helped me understand, like I say, my own conditioning in, in comparison to others, you know? Yeah, that entire experience, I think, was probably the most profoundly life-changing events of my whole life. And sure. I always reflect on it to this day. I'll, it probably comes up somehow or another. It's, yeah. it's almost like 
I've never been to a meditation retreat, but mm. I, but the pace of life is so drastically slower mm. where, and the, you know, it's really hot during the day. You don't yeah. want to do a whole lot. It's like right. your body and your nutrition and everything about it. You just kind of have to like chill, chill, find a place to chill. Yeah. Get some yeah. shade and just <laughs> sit and not, yeah. and just, and you're just going to sit so long that you it's like I kind of felt like I learned how to meditate. Even well, you, the the big thing with meditation practice simply is removing distractions. Yeah, and then you you know you so you remove outside distraction for the most part mm-hmm. if you can, right? And then you're trying to remove the distraction of your thinking mind. You yeah. know, so if you're already in a place in nature where you got nothing better to do and you're just being, you know, you'll I I think you'll have some breakthroughs. You yeah. know, well that's that's hugely important. It felt like that the kind of those thought breakthroughs or meditative breakthrough kind of feeling but it was also just a very reboot because i didn't have to hang on to any of these things about notions of who i am or where, I, where i'm from or exactly like that, that and that's what i mean by immersing yourself yeah. in the other because you, you have to let go on some level i mean you might need to bring your tapatio hot sauce or something to, <laughs> to keep yeah. whatever it may be you know what i'm saying your little something yeah you, there were, you know there were my little creature comforts that sure I sure because again that's, you know, like I lived, I've lived overseas a few times, but it wasn't until after I lived in Amsterdam in 2008 that I got American tattooed across my knuckles because I realized no matter where I go in the world, yeah. no matter where I live even, I'm always going to be the American guy. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like you can't avoid that well, on that... some level. And it's not that I'm proud of it. It's just like, oh, no, this is really who I am. This is a really a definitive thing when i go to the rest of the world they're like ah an american yeah it's it's funny to be in that situation be part of living in africa when uh well we would go to up to senegal senegal Mm -hmm. completely surrounds the gambia and but it's a little more uh dakar is a big city and and then san louis in the north of senegal has this international jazz festival Mm. and it's wow yeah that sounds it's cool. It's so badass. And wow. I made, I made, so you can take a little bit of leave time from your village and you have a certain amount of vacation days and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went to that jazz thing two times, wow. twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 it was always a big adventure. Uh, question just because I'm a stoner. <laughs> yeah. Could you smoke weed at the jazz festival in Dakar? <laughs> That's a technical, well, technically as a Peace Corps volunteer, we don't smoke weed. Well, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, would I you mean, get straight up arrested, oh, tackled, yeah, like you're yeah. doing heroin or yeah. something? Is it a, like, because I know in some of the Muslim countries, like, no, nah, in other countries in Africa, like hash is, it's all good. You know, and that's why I ask, you know, it's a, a jazz festival. I mean, sure. you think, you know, it'd be a, a great place to, you know, smoke some hash and trip out on some music, you know? Yeah, I, I just yeah. ask. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that happens. Okay. <laughs> Can't sh- sure. Hmm. Um, yeah, the, but the jazz... Uh, this is totally yeah, I was just down. wondering. Yeah. Because uh, even in the States, you know, it's okay some places and not some places. Yeah, yeah te- technically, no, it's not. It's, right. It, it's not, but I mean... But it's maybe very, not like something Rasta, the police are going to freak out culture. about. Oh, okay. Well, the police in, in those countries take bribes you know they they shake people that's down what all i the time. understood yeah there's road, yeah. roadside stops all sure. over the place and sure and the taxis and everything they just you know they give them get like gifts basically to right. let them pass right so it, if you have a, a doing you know something illegal 
the cops are gonna fuck with you. It's probably. an excuse just to get some money. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So you're obviously doing something not allowed. Yeah, so it happens. It it's definitely a part of the culture there. People definitely smoke weed and grow it and Oh, okay. And, but it's I didn't know but that. it's on the down low. Like nobody right. admits it. it. Sure. Well, yeah. I get you. I get you. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Did did you run into any hallucinogens in Africa? Um I not that, I don't, yeah, I'm not putting you on the no, spot no, to I, say, did you do these drugs? Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just wondering if that kind of stuff, again, just this like interest. Uh, no, definitely there. Well, first, like mushrooms, I would imagine. Sure, I think there probably was, but there were all there were different weird jungle Fun. shit. You know, like oh, good like times. oh, chew on this bark or something. Sure, and you're I, get, that's or why I asked. Yeah, yeah, they're like shaman and medicine yeah. men and stuff that could tell you things. But fantastic. Uh, I I. I never really got to yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't. No, think. no, no. I wouldn't think you would either. You know, there's I al- just, I just wondered if you had, you know. Oh yeah, there's also any experience with that. So, so ninety percent of the tribes in the Gambia, I would say, are, are predominantly Muslim. Okay. But then there are a few that are Christian. So, so they have their different. Um, so the Muslims don't drink, but the Christians do. So the Christian dudes will tap the palm trees, and they put like a plastic bottles and catch the juices that come off that and then let it ferment and they they sell this like get it well like the, oh like a like a palm hooch kind of thing yeah like a palm oh, tree fresh. hooch yeah oh, try and that's that. just, <laughs> something else yeah I'll bet. yeah oh bad yeah huh cool that's cool and there so you know peace corps was a a good experience oh, for yeah. you in, was, in, in general in general it was but it was very hard it was very hard yeah. to get through and it wasn't like it was hard because you were doing something working super hard or anything yeah but it was just like mentally uh one more quick question about uh peace corps do you think a, a woman in the same uh assignment would have had us the same experience no i don't think so because, simply because of the cultural differences yeah the cultural differences yeah. and and because that's i've heard that that's just i've heard that men have a different experience than women in the peace corps in general yeah yeah i mean it's yes i think so because the unwanted attention too i mean as a man i would oh, get sure. a ton of attention sure like a, a white guy walking around in a, in the in the market is gonna yeah. every guy's gonna call oh, on you okay. to buy but then if you're or, like say an attractive college educated american woman but then it it's even might more be so because even a little more difficult well they want to deal with or a little crazier or <laughs> well, no because the men the men the attention from the men the men, mm. men are constantly like asking them to marry them and hey mm. you know just oh i see i see yeah, yeah. so it, it, yeah it's just different i mean i guess it would be anyway yeah, I mean, it's similar, I just it's similar everywhere. I feel I've had Peace Corps volunteer friends bring that up to me, yeah. how different the experience can be in the same country, you know, depending on your gender. So what happened uh, when the Peace Corps uh, assignment came up? Did you end up going back to Denver? Yeah, I did. I came back to Colorado. And then, like I said, been gone all, a while, it was 27 months. And yeah. This whole experience where, you know, I was Derek of Denver before I left. And yeah. then I go to Africa and it was just like, you're, you're just, just a reboot guy. or whatever. Yeah. Like, you're not that. Did so, they give you a nickname? Yeah. Other than the... What yeah. Was the, the... <laughs> My name was Malik and Jai. Malik and Jai? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, last name. Did it mean something fucked well, up? <laughs> Sounds cool. No, Mal- Malik or like here people would say Malik. Okay. And then Malik. Jai is a last name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was oh, which was cool. really funny because they have jokes amongst the different families. Okay. So, 
it was like a way of me, for me to bond with people. Sure. When, when I'm on, you know, like I said, I'm You're riding, part of the family. Oh, you have a title. Sure. And I'm yeah. riding public transportation and people, you know, are curious, what are you doing in this country? If they ask you your name and I I would tell them Malik and Jai, and they'd say, Malik, Malik and Jai, you're a, you know, you're a two-bob. How could you be Malik and Jai? So then I'd throw, yeah. like, a joke at them because, so, for example, in Jai's have a joke with this family named Job that they like to eat too much. Okay. And, and it, yeah, so, no, I get you. So yeah. so if I ever ran, ran into somebody and they told me their name was Job, I would say, I would say, oh, you know, I'd make that joke about them eating, and they'd automatically know that I must be an Enjai if I know if I would. If you know make the inside joke, joke to them, yeah. but they're like, oh, okay, you're. How the hell does the white guy know the inside joke? Yeah, and he's claiming, <laughs> yeah, he's well, it's because your family, your you know? crew was cool enough to tell you. Yeah, because so, you really were. They wanted you to feel like you were part of the crew. But, That's fresh. But to have those kind of inside knowledge was very valuable. Like oh, traveling yeah. around the Gambia when you know those kinds of things like yeah it was so much easier because then you know if like the cops or whatever if you you know they get stopped on the roadside they'll let you go when you know that kind of thing you know uh, okay because they know you're connected and can well and even local like you can discuss discuss the this what happened with locals or or like prices you're, you're local enough yeah i mean everything's on, oh sure <laughs> on a barter system you know that's yeah. how it works there so if they think you're a tourist, you're going to pay a tourist price. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And when I could say, hey, I know that, and especially if you speak the local language, which, right. which you have to learn as a peace yeah. culture. That's so, cool. So you kind of blow that, blow minds a little bit when, yeah. when you know a few of these things. That's cool. FedEx. Yeah, FedEx guys coming. FedEx pause. I'm going to pause for a second. All right, we're back. Uh, FedEx guy had a package from Australia for me that was full of uh, bike lights from Nog. Thank you, and thanks for the cookies. They're hitting the spot right now. <laughs> uh, but we were basically in Africa. Yeah, I'm kind of um, glad. I'm glad the FedEx guy interrupted me nah, because I will talk about good. Africa all day long. It, it, well, that's the thing. It was like the trip that shaped the the, the course of your life and maybe a different one than it was. Well, maybe it's, it's or just kind, it shaped it. It was kind it of the shock the to the system. I'll, I'll just yeah. summarize it by saying it was a big shock to the system going there, but especially coming back to America. Yes, coming, that's where we kind of left off. Coming back to Denver. Exactly. Coming back to my old friends and old life, but having this new Malik and Jai. You know, I'm not Derek Keenan, I'm Malik and Jai. But now I'm Derek Keenan. I'm supposed to be Derek Keenan in, in Denver again, but I'm not. Sure. You know, and, and it, it was a good. It's kind of like an epiphany that you might seek to get from meditating, this not self notion, you know? And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. And I think that that. that was a, such a powerful thing because it kind of makes you realize you kind of get to do whatever you, you be what you want to be you just make it and it kind of and, and that was a way of living in africa too things damn it i'm back to africa i can't escape i'll no, tell you something it, really funny it, it's all good dude no yeah i'll, go do, ahead. I'll just go like ahead. to say about this funny thing real quick i used to shave my head there every once in a while like my hair would grow out and it would just get sick of it and just study that's how i dealt with my hair just shave it all off and start again but uh they had a local belief that if a bird took your hair and wove it into their nest, or in, yeah, that that they basically like they capture your spirit and you wouldn't uh, be able to go get away. Yeah. So maybe that's what happened. I think a bird got my hair because I'm forever stuck. <laughs> Not stuck in Africa, <laughs> but it's forever. No, no, I I think that's rad. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, you end up back in Denver. Um, you know, did you have to get a job right away and and get to it? What, what went down? Yeah, you do. You well, I mean, you get a certain amount of readjustment allowance from Peace Corps as part of your kind like of your, money. Yeah, they give you some money to kind of get you through that first couple months when you get back because you're gonna have to find an apartment and whatever. You know? That seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. It's is that taxpayer money? Uh, sure is. <laughs> Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's so, cool. It's a government program. Yeah. No. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway. Yeah, I did. I got a job. Or, no. Actually, my jobs when I got back were, like, just whatever. I was getting kind of bullshit jobs. I wasn't. But I was cool. Like, what that. kind of shit? Well, I was. It wasn't bullshit. But it wasn't, like, career job. I was. No. I was I've had plenty of jobs like that. That's sure. the thing, man. I don't play those down. Because, again, those were life experiences. Yeah. I think know? I was, like. But I was working at a restaurant for a little bit. I uh, I worked in lots of restaurants. Yeah, I worked in a restaurant. Then I I was it was kind of fun job. I I worked on a, a construction crew doing house framing buildings oh, and stuff. So that's that a cool. really good thing to know. Yeah, and then and then I ended up just being like all around like construction dude. Like I'd get called on to do like just like whatever odd bullshit job nobody else wants to do on sure. the construction side. You get paid kind of, pretty good for that. Yeah, I was getting. I mean, I felt like it was pretty decent. Especially, How much? How much? It was like talking? twenty bucks an hour. That sounds great. Yeah, and I was, you know, was but fun. you're busting your ass, breaking your back. Yeah, yeah, I was like unloading shit off like wood and shit yeah. off trucks and yeah. lugging it around. Sure. I was doing like the worst jobs. Wishing was, you were getting fifty bucks an hour. Yeah, it was funny too because I worked with this crew. That, they were like criminals. All, a lot of no offense to people in construction, but a lot of people are like ex felons and things like that. And I know that about construction. Yeah, I, I know mean, that construction can be a. Oh man, a, a wonderful option if you've been through the system. There's not that many uh, trades, you know, that will take people that have felony records and whatnot. You know, so I think, I mean, I just have plenty of friends that have felony records, sure. and they were like, "Oh man, what am I going to do for work?" And then, bingo, they yeah. you, you find some industries that are down. Yeah, at least the jobs I've, I've yeah, whatever. It, it's cool. It, it's, I think it's, it's great. It's fine. You just. I think it's another good thing to rub elbows with people who've been through the system too. Yeah, I mean, I got along. They were. That's it, just, just it. Saying, it was. It was it's just no a big deal. Funny, funny time and experience working with some of the characters. They were characters. This guy's name was Fuzzy. Oh, you know? I know. And he was. I know. He was always talking about how if if. He, he was going to shoot it out with the cops if, if they came to arrest him again. And he was telling his best... One more time, man. Yeah, if they come again, it's just over. And he was yeah. already telling us which tools oh, we could have and everything. Because yeah. he was, like, ready, you know. Wow. And, and it was just... That's exciting. It was just nuts every day. Sure. Every sure. day on that show was crazy. But um, you got shit done. Were you yeah. building houses, apartment buildings, something? No, it was a restaurant that was built. Well, oh, the okay. last, this job went on way too long, but it was an interesting project because it was a restaurant that went out over water. So oh, it was wow. built on pylons with steel wow. support and everything. Which in the wintertime, when that lake froze, it was me and these two brothers. It was our job to get on our back. There's At that point, they all the pipes and stuff are underneath there. So you had to build this like subfloor with insulation. But to do that, that was our job to hang all of that, and you, we had to lay on our back on the ice and <laughs> drilling up. And there was kind of claustrophobic in there, and it's the middle of winter, so yeah. fucking cold. Oh, that's but we would tough. just no, but we just smoked weed all day long underneath yeah. there, and it's the hot weed. box. The, weed, yeah, weed was. There's a therapeutic use for weed right there. Yeah. You're in a stressful 
physical situation. You got to get a job done, and it helped you get through it. Sure. Do you think it impeded your performance? No, I think it was the only way we were able to do that because it was bullshit cold, and we were well, literally laying I, on a I sheet think of that's ice. That's great to hear. Yeah, you know, um, you know, whatever. So what? Well, how about after construction? Oh, okay. So it was during the time of construction. Okay, that brings me up to about two thousand eight, and that's okay. when a lot of interesting things began for Derek here and around that time. Oh, fine. Yeah. So <laughs> working these bullshit jobs. Well, not that that construction was bullshit, but the restaurants and stuff. I I felt like that wasn't exactly the career. I get you. Career. Not jobs that are like uh, fulfilling some sort of personal goal. Like I literally right. You're I, just working to for make, a paycheck. That's know? right, and that's fine. Yeah. Although I did enjoy like the con- building things, which is cool. And, sure. and so actually, I yeah, I started taking a certificate course because uh, I thought about getting into green building. You know. So, Oh, uh, like like, uh, like construction, just low eco. impact construction. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's. This will turn into a whole ramble, so I'm just gonna bypass that part about the construction stuff. But anyway, I I to make to make extra money when I got back from Africa and stuff, I, and also just I wanted to socialize with people and be out. So I, at that time, I was about. 20, 28 or so and I, I one of the things I dreamed of when I got back to to America I was like I'm going to get a nice camera and I just really want to get into photography so huh. so I bought a pretty good digital camera or like a entry level decent uh-huh. camera and I just took it everywhere and I like parties and everywhere and I was just out and I, I was like Mr. Social Photographer guy like I'd get people to pose and kind of like a I don't know. It's like the guy no, about I, town just I get shooting you. everything that I saw. That was 2008, you're saying? Yeah, around that time. Yeah. Or a little, no, actually. Because that would have been before, actually. So you're saying after you got back from yeah, Africa, after, you got the camera, but then later on you started. Well, I was just so stoked. I, I wanted to get back to America. For, I got homesick and really couldn't wait to get home. Yeah. And I had thought a lot about like what I wanted to do when I got back, and I was just itching to start. And I had this kind of new attitude about life, and I'm like, take over the world but I, but I it really was good like confidence boost that and and, and, and you know and you're, when you're as a volunteer I'm always there trying to encourage people how can you make a living you know sustain yourself there's this all very like oh, you're DIY. teaching teaching that to people so then when you come yeah, back so you're I like oh well back, how am I gonna do this myself I applied yeah exactly I just applied those same ideas to my own life because I was like oh, I'll look for opportunities entrepreneurship yeah it's very entrepreneur mindset and I also was kind of broke and so I was like well bingo and I'm taking these courses <laughs> also I'm taking courses at a school about green building and how wasteful we are and, and that was oh that was a very big takeaway from living in Africa coming back to America that's what hit me the hardest I think was just like how much shit we all have like if we unloaded our houses and put it outside it, it, it's unbelievable just the amount of crap I, I, I was overwhelmed like oh I'm I moving home. right now buddy yeah. yeah I know yeah so I yeah and, and in previous to Africa or Peace Corps I had studied industrial design so I thought I was going to be a product designer uh, but I got back and I was like, we don't need any more shit. I don't want to make any more toasters or whatever. Why would we need that? So I was like, well, in Africa, what they would have done is like repurpose a material because they, they've made something interesting out of everything. It never just got thrown away. So, right. so 
I thought about skateboards because that you know came full circle. And I know the shops just toss out all the broken decks. Mm-hmm. And so it was 2008, and that's when the recession had started. And it was just looking even more dismal about finding a real job like, yeah. or a career type job that I was yeah. dreaming about. Right. And I knew, like, well, I got to do something. So I went around to the skate shops and asked if I could have their broken boards. And they were like, why? And I'm like, well, I just want to try and make stuff with them. So. And as doing these free, freelance photography gigs, I had done a lot of uh, fa- like local f- produced fashion shows, mm-hmm. and they'd have them set up kind of like there'd be a fashion show, but also a market where right. people who made their like fashion wares. I remember that popping off around then too. Yeah, it was like really a big like a cool thing. These like pop yeah. up. Pop I was up in shops. San Francisco yeah. then. They had those little like craft fairs kind of things. Yeah, and they were actually really rad. Yeah, yeah, craft fairs and pop up shops and stuff like that. I started seeing them more and more and. Like I said, going back to my BMX days, my buddy Yellow he, or Brian, he right. uh, he, he was, was sling, that slinging his back shit. In the so day. I've been having this idea my whole life. Like I'm gonna just make something and sell it, and yeah. I can support myself doing that. Yeah, and fuck all <laughs> these jobs I hate and everything. So, so I went full, full. Well, actually, so what? How it got started? I had a girlfriend at the time, and I made made her some earrings just out of the skateboards just to kind of you made earrings out of skateboards oh that yeah i mentioned that. i gathered all these <clears throat> gathered up all these skateboards so that's what you ended up doing you because you said you you were telling the shops oh i just want to make something out of them and you're yeah I, yeah exactly so then you, you made some earrings for your girl yeah and man. then it was like ping kind of kind of yeah because she was stoked and then i i, I they came so you could and, see like the layers of the wood in the yeah when i first started doing it i didn't have any idea i just started chopping up boards and like yeah. drilling holes here and there that's and great filing this or just making like freestyle and see what looked cool or what what i could do yeah and you know then i'd start showing them to people and get feedback and see see and then but immediately people were like hey make me some or i'll buy those if you make another pair and whatever and i was like yeah well, this this might be like nothing else is working out right now. Like at the at 2008, everybody was la- getting laid off, and everyone's super bummed out about everything and the con. You know, the economy taking took a no, huge downturn, I, I, and everybody's I, was, I remember yeah, freaking yeah. out. So I kind of had already experienced like what extreme poverty was going to be about, and it didn't really phase me because I was like, well, you know, like I said, back to Peace Corps stuff is easy because I've been. You understood what, like, real low-impact, you know, living right. is about. Yeah, and it's cool. And, I... and existing with very little actual currency. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it just kind of, like, I felt like my my joy or whatever wasn't tied to, like, buying stuff anymore. Right. I, I, like, really detached from, right. like, material you're, you're, things. You're, yeah, your, like, level of uh, personal comfort changed. Yeah. And you were able to see yourself existing in, you know, uh, various levels of, you know, economic... Uh, well, on every level, yeah, and it was just, like, I kind of understood how to, like, recognize any level for what it is. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And it would just be cool, like, cause totally. that, at that moment, that's what you're doing. So that's... Yeah. that's well, so you started making the 
Making the earrings. Did you oh, call, yeah. did you call it anything at first? Oh, okay. So yeah, has it got a brand name? It does have a brand name. So it, it's called Mookie. M U K E E. Oh, okay. Where'd that come from? So yeah, that, that get that question every day. Um, <laughs> well, you must. You must. Yeah. Is it Mookie or Mookie? Mookie. Yeah. So it's, it's Mookie. Mookie. I pronounce it Mookie. And okay. uh, how that came about at the time. So I said I had made jewelry for my girlfriend that I was mm-hmm. seeing at that time, and her last name was Mujica, and my last name's Keenan. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, and and I say no more. That's where it yeah, came from. Yeah, that's how it came from. Okay, cool. A lot of companies start that way with just two last names or whatever. Yeah. Per, you know, whatever, and just put it together. Sure. That's fresh. Yeah. That's cool. Well, it's, it's cool too because it shows the original inspiration. Right. Yeah, and I, 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 I no, liked right. how it looked graphically too. I looked at it like I, And that was looks, 10 years ago now. Uh, 11 years now. 11. Wow. And you're still making them? Yeah, still making them. So yeah, so we can. So it must it must have worked out as like a worthwhile enterprise. Well, it was a lot off of, and on, I suppose. You know, I so I said I said there was a while there where I was running around town doing a lot of photography work. Exactly. I just right, swapped right. out the camera for my jewelry, and instead, because I'd leave the camera at home, but I'd still go out, and like anytime there, and this is the kind of early years. I was super hustling hard, and I was like, well, I want to be out, and I'm doing stuff anyway but i had like back i got at the time the credit card reader thing that had a spool of paper but it was oh, wireless yeah. had like this huge battery yeah. and you could swipe credit cards and i would go out to like bars and stuff just because oh. i was going to hang out anyway i had a little flashlight in my backpack and fucking uh, genius yeah wow i had like a little rollout mat kind of thing and i could, it was so like funny drug dealers yeah i was such a drug i was like a drug mat. dealer that's hot with yeah, and I'd go yeah. to like the druggy spots, you yeah, know, where people right off in the corner with the light. I was yeah. essentially drug dealer, only but I you were was selling, selling earrings, uh, and you were selling recycled skateboards. Recycled skateboards, that's pretty earrings. fresh. Yeah, and then uh, well, girls must think that's cool. Yeah, and I'm not, <laughs> you, they I'm must. Not. I mean, you've been making them for ten years. Sure. Yeah. For I mean, eleven. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah no, pay. that's cool. Yeah. So I yeah, it's funny because I did over the years develop a fan base, and it, and it moved on. It's not just earrings. I started doing belt buckles for guy or yeah, men and women I have and other those. products. And, yeah, no, they're uh, cool. Like after I'd been doing it for a while, I bought a laser. So, a laser. A laser. Yeah. Wow. I upgraded everything because in the beginning, how time, much was the fucking oh, laser? It's expensive. How much? How fi- much? There, it was fifteen. Fifteen thousand dollars yeah. for a laser. Yeah. And how big of a thing can the laser cut? Uh, the working area is twelve by twenty-four inches. Okay. Yeah, on my particular machine. Okay, that's yeah. cool. What kind of things can it cut through? It, it could cut through wood, leather, paper. You know, not hey. not metal, but it could it can etch on aluminum. It could. Oh, it can etch. It can etch, but it couldn't cut through. I see. Yeah. Fantastic. Or, yeah, or glass. Or do something. you think that was a really, really good investment? Looking yeah. back, like yeah, a yeah. Laser it was, cutter. Well, it was an absolute necessity if I was gonna grow because I was doing everything with a drill, like to cut out the earrings. I did it with a drill press. Yeah. And and like a circle, circular saw bit, and right. it just and then I have to disassemble the whole thing and pull the earring out of the inside of the so a laser plate. cutter would be a huge game changer. oh it, it like ramped well, i imagine you could the... maximize the use of the wood too if you're gonna go that yeah. route yeah wow so the laser okay. will cut and etch designs into the skateboard yeah and then i can kind of repeat the same design almost exactly right. over and over and over right. but i still have a lot of hand work to do so after the laser well, that's what i've seen is yeah. they still like they're in pairs but they're different 
Oh, well, that, yeah. So th that's one of my, like, I think what makes them special, I think, is that every pair is going to be unique, one of a kind, because so how I... And they're pairs. Yeah, they're, that's the it's thing, a pair, right? but, yeah. but but it's, I take, so... so it's the, cool to me, because I'm just like, oh my God, he goes to the effort to make sure that he has pairs here. Yeah. So, so the decks you know there's seven layers of maple wood right. and they, a lot of times they have color layer laminates in i asked between. you about that earlier if you could yeah. see the layers you yeah know? you, you it can seems like a cool part of it it is a cool part of it uh, it's um so that's that's one way you can show off the skateboard is to show the colors right. in the side but there's also the graphic on the bottom of the board exactly yeah and i've approached most of the jewelry at least the earrings where more emphasis is on that on the bottom on the painted graphic yeah and the scratches and the unique marks right. and stuff and that, to keep the pairs together yeah and and so i've made myself these like little clear templates with oh, okay that tell that i can put on top of the bottom of a skateboard and right. move it around you made your own tool yeah i made my own tool ah, that shows human me being what do you know yeah it shows nice. me i have different design shapes and things for yeah. these earrings and it'll show me how it's gonna look uh -huh. I set the laser to start at that point. Yeah. And then cut them out. And there's a whole process of sanding and stuff yeah. like that. But anyway, right. um, yeah, it's, it's, they're like little little miniature art compositions because you find like little dots. No, I think they are. They or... appeal to like the graphic design sense in me. Like when you uh, abstract a piece of signage, yeah. you know, and I think that's really beautiful. And there's this worn quality to them because they've been skated on, you know. Exactly. It makes yeah. them feel very personal. Like what there's a, a history um, to them. What about the fucking ad-ats that I saw? When did you start doing those? Because uh, yeah. if people are tripping, like an ad-at is like the four-legged robot thing from empire strikes back in the snow battle scene right the big the big yeah, things yeah that yeah it looked like a i don't know what a, like yeah. a big kind of like a big dog or something, it's something like, like big, that yeah. but that was the ad at and right. you made an ad at out of fucking skateboards what yeah. was the scale uh i mean i I mean, it as ended up like being ratio, like I don't know. two feet long or something. Yeah, it was 17 inches tall. They were pretty big. Tall. Yeah. Yeah. So, I feel like when I met you, that was one of the first things I saw. I was like, yo, that dude made this fucking thing? Yeah, Crazy. I think it was like that same summer that you moved here. I yeah. showed at Black Book Gallery. Ah, uh, yeah, I got here in 14. Yeah, so that was the year I showed uh, up. Okay. Peaks. Yeah, yeah. So that was, kind of, that was kind of my 15 minutes of fame was the, <laughs> the out -out. It, uh, there was a... A group show called Death Star Blues, and it was um, an, it was when Vans was going to release a, an edition of Star Wars inspired shoes. I remember those. And Santa Cruz Skateboards, I think, was also doing a, a line of decks. I remember that too. And so this show was like put on through Santa Cruz and Vans, cool. and and they brought out all these big well, all these artists to do stuff with Star Wars, cool related stuff. And yeah. I and I knew the guys at Black Book Gallery, Tom and Will, from just being an art geek you know going yeah. to all the shows and stuff but i hadn't like i don't i don't think i mean they would always talk to me and stuff but i don't think they had any idea that i did any kind of art or anything you gotta show people and i told them like hey man or they asked me what i was up to and i was like yeah i was actually working on this this ad app yeah anyway so it wasn't for their show but then when they heard i was doing that they're like hey if you want you can show it here perfect thing to add yeah so i was like sure no problem but I didn't like show him progress or anything. I had no idea what I was yeah. doing. Yeah. And uh, until the I showed up with it the day of the show. And, oh shit. And like installed it or whatever. And yeah. I think everyone was really shocked 
like they're like what the fuck this is so dope shock me yeah shock i kind of shocked myself honestly it was very i was very like happy like it's really legit to scale yeah like it's pretty incredible and then you realize it's all wood for one and then that it's skateboards so the wood's a little curved right yeah i guess so it's cool what uh we might want to tell our listeners i feel like i jumped ahead so in the process of making all the jewelry that i do i cut a lot of chunks of uh, skateboards that don't get used for that right. earring or whatever, but it gets tossed into these bins in the garage and I've got mountains of these bins I probably at one point had like 10 maybe at least 10 of them overflowing and then I had <laughs> to add a shed and put more out in the shed so I have so much of this skateboard material and it's but it's hard to just toss it out because you look through the well because well, you money too, you're but. extracting value from them of all people i understand that you're going to pack rat the scraps yeah i pack rat the scraps because <laughs> that's your retirement it, it, it literally is like, or if they switch to all metal boards or something and then they'll be vintage even more like you yeah, know yeah who and, knows? and when you get these like chunk blocks of wood that have different graphics it become like you said this abstracted thing you and you start combining them in different ways and plus then i can enhance them or subtract from them by using the laser i i can get crazy so i started building all kinds of stuff like inlaid coffee tables i built that out out of skateboards uh just all kind of, I did, the world is open yeah, yeah the whole world opened up because also i every once in a while i just got to build big shit to, to use scraps faster because it starts to pile up on me and then my <laughs> shop's so messy i can't even work and it's yeah. just it's just gross so huh. and also you know i just get bored with if i just make skateboard jewelry every single day because i've all these years i've been making it up for the most part by myself yeah and there's just a ton of labor it's and yeah. it's kind of like Sometimes like dummy work, you just stand in there sanding all day. Or... Sure, sure. No, but, it comes. There's pros and cons to that. Yeah, pros that and cons. Gig. So sometimes what I'll do is like there's certain seasons where I'll do craft fairs, or I'm not doing so many of the craft fairs anymore. But I get yeah. into these sort of cycles with with producing jewelry, and then I hit the road and go do craft fairs. And I started traveling all over the country. Cool. For a good probably about five years, I was on like a regular, almost a tour, where yeah. I make. Two st- almost always like two times a year I'd hit each of the major cities in the like wow you know L A San Francisco New York this is good for Austin, people to hear and whatever I make my yeah, round Chicago yeah, yeah. you got to hustle yeah I hustled super hard and I I wish I was talking a little bit more about all the different hustles like that's what I but started talking about say again though I mean what year is this I mean. I mean, do you oh, have do you... an online store now? Yeah, sorry, I do. Because have... see, that kind of thing, like back then, I think we were still hustling, like store to store and fair to fair to kind of sell the wares. But you know, our ability to sell direct to the customer now internationally through the mail is like a huge game changer. Well, you, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So my price, so so I would make jewelry, and my price point isn't very high. I've made them mm-hmm. intentionally affordable. How, how, so, how so a pair of earrings are only twenty five dollars. That's cool. And they're handmade, and yeah. you know, they're, they're, I think. And I crazy. suppose women are used to paying quite a bit of a range for earrings, jewelry of all sorts. Mm-hmm. So twenty five bucks might not seem like so much. Yeah, I think it's a pretty fair. Because I've been at places where you have like your table out, and some girls are just like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I want." Uh, oh shit how much are these i want a few of these damn like they they trip because they know like maybe they dated a skater or some shit i never know you know what i mean just like whoa you really are into this yeah okay that's cool and 
You know? Yeah, I can see how it works. I, I mean, I've seen it work. I almost feel like I want to do a shout out to these ladies that used to come to my booth in Chicago. Mm. Every, the the Renegade Craft Fair is a big deal out. It's it's um it's a Renegade started in Chicago and uh, it's become like a national like tour of craft fairs kind yeah. of thing. It's and and um what in the hell? <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. For the listeners. Oh, those ladies, sorry. We're a every, few joints deep. Yeah, we're a few point. joints deep. We're losing <laughs> track of what we're talking about. But no, I, every time good. I go to Chicago to do the Renegade Craft Fair, these group of women who were friends would be the first customers of mine. And they'd wait. Rad. They, they were like super fans. And they would, yeah. they almost competed for like who got the coolest thing. Yeah. So they just, they just cleaned me out first thing and i loved i love them for that because no. it was a good omen like I to get, start I a get, show uh, on a positive cleaned out note. at uh, poster shows that way they'll be lined up and you're just like are you kidding me you're lined up like fresh yeah. let's do this i mean it, it didn't always go that way but yeah. like there no, were no. a lot of great shows and so like i guess when i started well we when did we cross paths so that would have been 14 you had had that show i saw the ad at and I started doing art night, I suppose, pretty soon after that. And you started coming to it, art night. It, yeah, actually. Right? Because I remember, and I, I just want to kind of lead into like what you're doing now oh, more, sure. which is like what I saw at art night. You'd come with these projects that were these like 3D installation type things, you know, that now you're doing installations in like hotels and things, which uh. is way bigger than uh you know the recycled skateboard stuff and whatnot i mean you've really it seems mm. like took a leap there yeah yeah i got uh kind of burnt out i think on touring around the country like that i would and uh, and also burnt out and, and and also very inspired at the same time because mm. i got to meet all these cool artists and see their studios and what their projects were and all from like all like all these like really you know fancy hip places all over, all over the country me. so i was happy to travel but then it got tiring yeah yep so and i and i was just like like overloaded with ideas and things and i didn't have any time to work on them so i just mm. i just kind of like shift gears yeah i kind of shifted gears a little mm. bit and and at this point i feel like i'm deeper like my my yeah. shift is getting bigger you know i, I yeah because i stopped taking skateboards a while but maybe Oh god, time's moving on. Probably like five years ago, I stopped taking boards. I thought so, but I've got, like I said, I had bins and bins and bins of material. Right. And so I, I'm going through that and like really just building up my inventory of of finished jewelry. Mm-hmm. But then at, when I get to a certain point, I think I'll just whatever inventory I have is what I have, and I don't yeah. think I'll keep making it. Cool. No, that's natural for things to come and go. But um, yeah. As far as what you were saying, so yeah. What kind of like what kind of uh, hotel stuff have you done? Oh, okay. So like I mean, because that's just the the stuff that I feel like I don't know. It's where you're at now. Yeah, so it seems like this, how that transition happened. Like I said, I had so much scrap, I and mean, I had I had a lot of that ad at that I made out of skateboards. Yeah. that thing got like it went viral on the internet. It was on the cover of local magazine. Yeah, it was on the cover right? of a magazine, and yeah, it, yeah, it, it it was featured. It was on, cool. It was featured on. Like every blog you could think right. of, like all of I remember, it just blew up. Yep. And uh, but then, it, well, the interesting thing about that, I 
I, I never really saw a whole lot of benefit from from like the exposure of that because at the time and maybe even still true today I don't I'm not like I wasn't super prepared I didn't have like a very strong web presence I'm or, glad you're saying this yeah, yeah I didn't I I didn't expect that I guess I didn't I didn't know what no what, I mean that happens all the time where something goes viral and people after the fact yeah. are like oh if only I'd been able to capitalize on that yeah. damn yeah. damn damn well, well to a certain so what would you do yeah so well it also just was kind of another like it was a little bit like a wake up moment where I felt like I, I could do just jewelry all day long but it, it gets boring the price point is down you know it's pretty yeah. low I, I should you've have got a, to sell a lot of them to make enough yeah, money that, to pay the rent that's why I had to travel so much because yeah. in order to hit big shows so I could right. move enough jewelry to make it pay and also right. while I was traveling I would you know go all over town to like the places that want to carry handmade goods right and it's very it was very popular and probably still it still is I'm sure like yeah. to have these stores that kind of specialize in that kind exactly of thing. and so so i Thank god for them yeah so i'd start accounts with stores as i was also traveling all over the country so i just became overwhelming because i was shipping orders to stores or dealing with that and then taxes and stuff because if i'm selling in all these different tax jurisdictions and stuff and i'm trying to do it legit then it it just became a nightmare you need an accountant yeah yeah, yeah. So or quit, move on to something else. <laughs> right, and I, I think I've been banging my head against the wall for a long time now. And, sure, and it's it. I'm pay. I've. I think that the skateboard jewelry business has been an interesting experience, and I'll continue sure. to do it as kind of like a side thing. But yeah. I. Well, we what, were just talking about other friends of ours that are like, and people we know, in, in you know, arts and in brands and whatnot that are transitioning into other things yeah. that they may have thought oh i'll do this forever just five years ago and now it's you know 2019 and you're like oh yeah um i've exhausted that i killed it i did that that's rad but what's 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 on the agenda next you know well the fun the thing i really did enjoy though about doing these kinds of shows is that it's the vendors take well the successful vendors anyway and especially if you go on a national level where you're hitting like brooklyn or san francisco or la these bigger cities they have like very very cool booths so your booth is 10 by 10 and they and 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 the shows that i really like is where there's like this handmade touch you know where it's not like vinyl printed signs or some bullshit like they hand painted their oh, signs i know they, what you're talking about yeah or they built it to like where you could see their craftsmanship and that they care about their it's like the representation of their brand so there's this like right. this branding going on that's at a micro level kind of and, and you kind of have to be a brand so you so so i would build trait like my own show displays and everything else and it was also oh, a good way to use up some of these scraps i see that's how the bigger stuff started yeah so i started building. kind of out of a necessity for yourself to make a cool booth yeah i want to have a cool brand presence so um, i would build I've, and, I've made trade show booths and, and design them like yeah it's fun and and, the, and kind of the whole reason i even started the company in the first place is because when i was looking for design jobs after serving in the peace corps my my skills were kind of rusty like computers and all the different things and a lot of design jobs have this sort of catch 22 where it's like 
you need four years experience to get an entry level job you know yeah. and it's like but how do you you know get the job if they don't you know so <laughs> a terrible I, circle yeah, yeah it's yeah, this dumb yeah. circle so i thought well you know what this africa peace corps attitude was like well i'll start doing it myself start my own yeah thing. and i was from skateboarding and stuff like that so exactly so I was, and i was having fun i was getting to go out and it was also i could talk to anybody you know that right. was always fun to have a reason to like approach a stranger if you wanted to yeah and not be just completely creepy. You actually have something. But but even better is I would build these like really, like, alluring, elaborate like displays. Like, yeah, yeah, that people want want to approach and see what it's about. And, yeah. And I had them like, ever I had I still have I still build these types of things. But I have like every scenario. You know, over yeah. the years I've developed like the flying kit. Huh. If I'm Neat. flying to a city, I take this one. If I'm oh right, if it's just me, I even had a bicycle <laughs> yeah. for a while that had a like a mobile store I could tow. Yeah, I had a truck bike that I used to use for my poster parties. It had a platform on the front that was perfect for my 18 by 24 inch posters. They could lay flat. Yeah, yeah, you could bike around and just I could make a thousand dollars. Exactly, and I think the appeal people really respected that, especially yeah. in two thousand eight no, when they're no. losing their mind because they it's lost kitschy, their job. Kind of like, yo, you brought your whole rig on a bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people would see you out hustling and think like, wow, he, he's really doing it. Him, fuck, like I that's just, the guy I, that made the thing. Yeah, and that, and and it was it was really fun. There was um, so I started telling in the early days that I would sell on that bars, almost like a drug dealer. And yes, some. Some one of the bars in Denver saw me doing that, and they're like, "Dude, you don't have to hide it. Why don't you? Here's my phone number. You just call anytime you want to do that, and we'll set you up like wherever you want." And because they because they saw like people were like I was like, they were stoked that right. way, I was bringing like value to their space in a way. Right. So then in the summertime they have the patio area, and you got your spot. And it used to have a teepee in it. Right. Like like a. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and I'd go in there and I'd set up blankets and oh, and man. like sit in the dead center of it with yeah. jewelry all around me, surrounding me, and just get so high. And the <laughs> and the weed smoke would just permeate like out the yeah. tent. Right, right. And it it was it was like fishing or something because it was sure. just like drawing. It's gonna draw somebody in, and then yeah. like the little flap oh. would open, and they'd yeah. sit down and yeah they'd get very stoned too please check out my wares yeah <laughs> that's it was fresh, just like man, really, that's but it was really that's fun conversations usually no, no. And, uh, that's cool i think what you're getting at too is it's part of the social aspect of making a living and getting your product out there i mean you can't you have to go out there and rub elbows with people yeah i think later on not as much but like for my career it was essential that i go out you know, meet people. Those became my tattoo clients and whatnot, and later my commercial clients. But now I can kind of chill and and do my thing. But that was an essential part of my thing. Yeah. You know? And even I feel like you must be in the same sort of boat where it's less about rubbing elbows with people and more about bigger projects and focusing on getting that kind of thing done. I'm sure it's still important to rub elbows. I just don't because I don't have time. Yeah. Well, because you're doing takes, your work. Yeah, because it takes so long to do the work you, that I do. Y- yeah. No. No. I, I I think that's part of the trade out. Yeah. You're an adult it w- now. <laughs> it would be to my benefit probably to get out and do more of that. But I maybe or, maybe not though. Yeah. Like to what end? It depends on what you're after, I suppose. What I think, you know, like... What are you after? Maybe that's where it would be a great place for us to end because we've got about like three minutes left. So, yeah what is the where you at now and where do you want to get um any idea yeah 
I I would like to continue down the same path I'm on with good more more uh you know just as my skills develop and stuff more I just great take on more projects same for me yeah yeah try new materials right new ideas sure just it seems like on. you've just been kind of rolling with shit the whole time yeah and it's been a good ride yeah that's cool that's cool well i wish you success my friend it's been really good uh <laughs> hey, getting to know you over the last few years yeah you do as well totally i, I think uh one last thing if we oh, talked yeah. about the skateboard joy this oh much, yeah can we plug the etsy shop it's uh, oh yeah please no i was just gonna ask yeah. you how people can find you how they can find your stuff yeah and all that yeah yeah i do still sell skateboard jewelry and uh, accessories at my mookie.com or actually sorry it's uh mookie.etsy.com so cool. I'm on Etsy how long have now. you been on Etsy um I probably the whole time like 10 years at least wow yeah see and the it, power of Etsy that's fresh yeah that's why I ask Etsy's a Etsy's a thing not to uh look look past oh it's powerful platform it is a powerful platform yeah. that's cool and on Instagram Instagram uh Derek D-E-R-E-K underscore Keenan K-E-E-N-A-N cool I'm also Mookie Design but okay accounts there. that's cool yeah but do you do any of the other stuff like twitter facebook uh myspace uh, uh what else might I, at some point in my life tinder i've done it all but i just again i just don't feel like i have time i'm yeah. more focused on making shit that's of. cool that's i'm the same way i put the phone away. i could i could use an assistant once in a while to do that kind of shit oh, no anyone no. out there okay cool well thanks for sitting down with me derek it's been great yeah thanks word up okay